Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today is from the Gospel reading these words of Matthew. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. This is our text, dear friends, in our Lord Jesus. To date, I think it's safe to say it's been one of the more active and news-saturating political campaign seasons in recent memory. For many more months than what had been normal, presidential hopefuls have been on the road and on the stump, making his case or making hers for your vote. And so we've arrived now, it would seem, at, at least at two major political party candidates, but you can re remember with me, I'm sure, the many other candidates besides Senators Obama and McCain who have campaigned in this last season, those by the name of Clinton and Romney and Kucinich and Paul and Dodd, Giuliani, Edwards, Huckabee and Thompson. And you can remember, I'm sure, with me too, their media-covered travels by way of bus and train and plane throughout all the cities and villages across this land. You can recall, I'm sure, their diner stops, so often reported on television, booth to booth, shaking hands, saying hello to the locals, and their factory tours, finding out from the local folk what's made here, why it's so important that it is made here. The town hall meetings in the local middle school gym or in some willing farmer's barn, exchanging their best answers for your questions and, and a chance to, to give their answers. And all of it for what? Really for this? And with each diner and factory and town hall notched on a candidate's belt, that candidate tried, and yet will try, to convince you that having been there throughout all the cities and, and towns and villages among the people, that he's seen the ordinary life, your need, your challenge, your life's condition, and he's the one, therefore, to meet it. Well, Matthew today tells us too that Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages. And he saw the same things people, persons rather, individuals. Individuals much like you'd meet at a diner or a factory or a town hall. They were men. Some who wore life's experience all over their rugged and their wrinkled faces and in their tired eyes. Other men younger whose inexperience left them perhaps much less worn or jaded, whose countenance was much smoother. Women, he saw young and hopeful girls, others that were mothers, stretched and strained by vocational demands, widows, lonely and quietly aching, and children too, many children I'm sure, some of whom for an intruding disease or affliction had never known the hallowed shelter of childhood. Jesus went throughout the cities and villages beholding those just like you, just like me, ordinary people, ordinary lives. Now, perhaps here the word ordinary allows for some misconceptions. 
I would suppose, or misunderstandings maybe. Misconceptions of the unordinary, perhaps, or the extraordinary life. Well, the fact is that ordinary lives, the kind that are harassed, as Matthew used the word, harassed by by life's fallen condition and ultimately lives that are helpless to help themselves out from life's fallen condition. These are really the only kind of life that there is, ordinary life. The only kind of life that there has been since that first trespass of that one man. Paul spoke about in the epistle reading that one man, Adam, and his wife, Eve. Since then, there's only been one kind of life, and that's the ordinary kind. Harassed by life's condition. You can remember troubled old Job's divinely inspired words regarding the life of every man. Remember what he said? He said, man who is born of woman is of few days and full of turmoil. Doesn't that just about describe every life here? Tax bracket has no bearing. Social status or stigma for that matter. Your home city town or village, it really is just as irrelevant. Why? Because all lives are conceived, as the psalmist says, in sin, born to mortals, bound for mortality, and don't they just hit every mortifying bump along the way? Death, says St. Paul in, in our epistle reading, death, and therefore dying, comes to all. You ask the Russert family this weekend, and we were all reminded so suddenly of that. Just two days ago, the notable political analyst, host of the weekend show Meet the Press, Tim Russer, dies suddenly. 58 years old. If it can happen to him, death comes to all because all, Scripture says, have sinned. All lives born of women, women end just as ordinarily. They end in the casket, don't they? be it plush or pine or perfectly plain, and all lives born of the womb and bound for the tomb encounter the same harassments and the same helplessness all along the way. You'll recall there was a rich man and there was Lazarus. You'll recall there was the high commander of the Syrian army, Naaman, in Elisha's day, and he had leprosy. The commanding centurion's son who was sick unto death, noble Jairus' daughter, who was dying. Death and dying, you see, it's no respecter. No respecter of the things that we in our dealings respect. It makes all lives ordinary lives. Your life is no less ordinary. Your life and mine, no different. And for that very reason, then, isn't it there right there in the middle of those city and village gospel text crowds that we do feel most at home? Disease and affliction to be healed, don't we know it? And no doubt among those who listened in their synagogues as Jesus did preach and teach to them, there were the marriages and relationships that needed mending. There were psychoses and neuroses and obsessions and disorders that needed to be reordered again by the Creator. Bodies broken, don't we know it? Souls, too. Some troubled by their wrongs, some numb to them. Souls, too, that need life and rest. A whole syndrome of separation caused by our sin, don't we know it? 
Life harassed by the consequences of life's condition, conditions we've often so, so often created for ourselves. Life's lives so helpless by and, and to sin's destructive force, don't we know it? Ordinary life. Your life. We have this picture painted by Matthew in the text. And it's striking the contrast. Jesus, the Son of God. A harmony of healing and wholeness in the midst of a cacophony of lives dissonant and discordant by sin. You wonder what's the reaction when these two opposing things come in contact? What would Christ's reaction be? No different than it is today. As he's present in our cities and in our villages, in our lives, among sin, ordinary and and discordant and sin-harassed lives, Matthew tells us what the reaction is. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless. The Greek word for compassion is splagnizomai. It means a gut-wrenching, stomach and heart-turning and churning reaction to some pitiful situation. And the word is not at all common in the New Testament either. It's used of the Good Samaritan upon seeing that man lying there in the road. It's, it's used of the father of the prodigal son, seeing afar off his son. It's used of the merciful Debt-forgiving king, remember him who absolved the 10,000 unpayable talents? It's used, interestingly, though, in the New Testament, only of God. Splugnitzomai, gut-turning compassion that moves him to react. Christ's reaction, you wonder? Splugnitzomai. Love's reaction. It's no different now than it was then. Jesus moves into motion to meet needs, meet our needs. That's compassion in motion. Moving to help lives that are ripe for the healing. And that harvest indeed is plentiful. Jesus takes one look at the sin-ordinary life and, and he knows what needs to be done. And he does it. In the gospel texts, we're told he does it through Simon Peter. He does it. And through Andrew, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and, and Thomas, and Matthew, and James of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon, even Judas. He employs them, 12 instruments employed, 12 tongues upon which his care would be sent out and carried to those in need. Twenty-four hands by which special cure would be delivered to those lives broken and in need. He made messengers and miracle workers out of these men who were mariners and, and money makers. Men whose lives were just as ordinary, just as sin ordinary as the next man's, yet with specific authority from Christ himself to proclaim Good news, indeed the life-healing news 
that still rings on the tones of his compassion in motion. The news that the kingdom of heaven is near. Indeed, it's right here. His reaction, you wonder, it's, it's compassion in motion, dealing with our needs, all of them, to the very last one of them, starting from top to bottom. And I do mean top to bottom. Because we might prefer those bodily needs of ours to be met, and indeed complete bodily healing. We might consider that and prefer that to be the first and foremost need of ours to be met. But you know he doesn't. See complete bodily healing of ours to be the first met. Like most any father here today on this Father's Day would probably tell you, quick fixes aren't necessarily the lasting ones. We see that from the Gospel text. Those he healed did in time die. Important as our future bodily restoration is to him, it's not what he seeks first for us. First and foremost comes the proclamation to you of your life sin forgiven. Because Christ Jesus was delivered up to it. Remember the epistle reading again today? St. Paul's words. He says, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and me. First and foremost comes your assurance that because Christ and by faith in Christ, you, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, you stand right before God and are no longer fractured from Him, but reconciled to Him. Again, the epistle reading, Paul says, We have now been justified by His blood, reconciled unto God. So first comes the kingdom of God, unassumingly as it does come to you. Even as it does this morning, unassumingly, into the ears of hearers and upon hearts, establishing and sustaining faith now for eternity's tomorrow. That's first. In God's economy, that's foremost. In fact, you notice that order even in the gospel reading that you, you heard just a moment ago. Remember how Matthew wrote it? He said, Jesus went through all the cities and villages teaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing. You notice the order that he puts there? In fact, the order is repeated when Christ sends out the twelve later in the gospel text. Go, he says, and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, and so on. Well, still you see, still you see Christ's compassion in motion. Of course, no longer through that select band of apostolic brothers that we heard about in the apostle, rather in the, in, in the gospel reading. Today, though, it's through other proclaimers sent by him to bear to broken lives the very same good news, reconciliation because of Christ and his cross, reconciliation with God. Paul calls the, the task of proclamation the ministry of reconciliation. He even uses the term. Indeed, next week, in Illinois, our own Reverend now Reverend Stephen Mons 
will take up that task, that calling handed down to him, given to him, that vocation as he's ordained and installed as pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Anna, Illinois. Commissioned to proclaim there by God's authority the good news. Present day proclaimers of God's authority and his authoritative word of reconciliation. Much like the heralds of old, remember them? Those sent forth by, by the king to state publicly his proclamation in cities and in villages and in countrysides, public square. Heralds weren't sent to convince and persuade by, by clever rhetoric or with witty presentation. They were sent to declare the king's decree. And the words of the king did the convincing and the and the persuading in the ears and in the hearts of the hearers. And those in the public square who had ears to hear, they'd hear. And moved by the king's words, they'd take the king's message to heart and they'd believe it and expect it. And when the news was good, they'd hope in it. And not because of the particular herald, but because of the word of the king that he was sent to bear. So it can be said to you, hear ye, one and all. The king brings you good news. God has in Christ reconciled the world unto himself. Not counting your trespasses against you. And all the rest that you do seek, it'll follow. For don't you know that it has been decreed by him that anyone and every one of you who by faith is in Christ Jesus is a new creation. The brokenness of this world, you see, it's passing away. Giving way day by day, even hour by hour. Giving way to the resurrected wholeness that's soon to come. Behold, he makes all things new. In his kingdom of priests, some are commissioned publicly to herald, but all are priests. Priests who pray for the healing of the neighbor, body, and soul. Priests who offer and sacrifice their own abilities to the betterment of another's broken life. Priests who, in living out their own particular callings, encourage one another and, and share with each other the good news that God's made known to us. Priests who, along with the writer of that sermon hymn that we just sang, he said it so well, priests who ask for faith that transcends timidity, that we would each in our callings refreshed by God's word and his sacrament that we receive here today, that we with courage would confess what God in Christ has done for us. Friends, those gospel text crowds are all gone the way of time now and into eternity. But this crowd right here and those in our cities and towns around us in villages, we see Christ and his compassion yet faithfully in motion. Doing what he does. Remaking death into life. So that you can have it to the full. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.